Hello, my name is Andrew Whalen. And I'm Dee Arias. This is Lore of the Week, the podcast where we talk about what's going on in the world and dive into what's popping. This week, we're talking about imposter syndrome and how that affects different people in different ways. As well as arguing about genes, updating you on the latest Kanye West news, and much more. It's lore time. Also, before we start, I just want to warn you, I was having some audio issues in my recording, so you'll probably hear a lot of clipping in my voice track, and I apologize for that. I tried to get it sounding as best I could, but uh, I'm only a man, so enjoy. What's up, D? Doing pretty well, Andrew. How you doing, baby? You know, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, had a good day. Nice. Anything you'd like to share about that? Uh... Yeah, I'll share. Why not? You know, we got a podcast. I'll share. I went snowboarding today. Took the day off. It's a Thursday. Took the day off. We drove up. Addie and I drove up to Winter Park, and we uh, got a pretty solid four or five hours of uh, of snowboarding in. Well, I snowboarded. She skied because I'm cool like that. And then uh, and then we came back, and now we're here. Now I'm recording a podcast. It's been pretty good. Definitely recommend those that that weekday skiing for anyone out there. It it's life changing. I, be, I can imagine you beat the traffic and you have the mountain to yourself pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people there, but versus, um, what it's like when they're like on the weekends, it's yes, the traffic is insane and the mountain is like congested. It sucks. So it was nice. We pretty much had lifts to ourselves. I know that's what's up. So I've never actually have gone snowboarding or skiing. When you go up a lift, like how many runs are you doing in a day? How many runs am I doing today? Well, it depends on, first of all, it depends on if you're the kind of person who likes to um, stop every couple of runs and like drink a beer at the lodge, which if you're like me, you are. And I have a feeling that you are like me, you you in particular. But uh, I don't know. I didn't count them, but like, because uh, it depends too, because sometimes you can go like up higher and go farther down the mountain or you can just go up like a lift that takes you like not quite as far up and take a couple runs, especially if there's like runs you like in particular. Shout out to the Mary Jane in uh, Winter Park. Um, I don't know, maybe like 10 ish, maybe like a dozen somewhere, probably not more than 12 runs. And this was like a half day because we got there at like 11. So, and we left at like three. Although like when you start early, if you ever do like a ski trip and you're out there like 8 a.m. or even earlier, usually it ends up for me, it ends up being a half day too, because you get tired. I mean, it, it, it beats you up. So. Damn, I just learned a lot. So, yeah, definitely appreciate that. And it sounds like you had a good day. I had a good day. I'm, I'm a little sore. I definitely fell a couple times, but um, I'm going to make it. Hey, definitely try to get it, uh, those muscles elevated. Put a little massage oil on there. You got it. Mm-hmm. You got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about you? You have a good day? You know, mainly worked from home. I started vaping recently. So cool. when I'm not smoking cigarettes, I'm still constantly smoking and ran out of my vape so that was a little sad so that was the downlight of my day other than that pretty productive and then yeah just prepping for the pod and all so pretty grounding relaxing day for the most part cool cool that sounds great man well here we are you want to just go ahead and jump into uh, our main topic for today yeah today we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome that's right yeah what are your thoughts or do you want to get into what imposter syndrome is first yeah, I, I actually have a little bit. So what made me think about talking about imposter syndrome is, first of all, it, it's still January, mid-January. Everybody everybody just kind of went back to work if you took the holidays, which I did. And for some folks, that can be a 
I know there's a lot of dissatisfaction with jobs going on around in America in particular recently. So that was one thing that got me thinking about it. And I'm also potentially up for a promotion at work. So that's something I'm continuing with a lot of imposter syndrome right now is what made me think of it. So um, I wanted, I did a little bit of looking into it just to, to bring the, the conversation to the pod. So are you familiar with the origin of the concept of imposter syndrome? I'm familiar with imposter syndrome. I, I started hearing about it probably several years ago, mm. especially around like college time. And I think that's when people started to talk about it either because being in classes or what it is that post-college would look like, especially like searching for jobs. So that's when I started to identify with it. But even before then, I feel like I started to recognize imposter syndrome in myself, just didn't know how to name it. Yeah. But in terms of its origins, I believe it came from around like the 1970s as like kind of a research study. And I think it was predominantly rooted with women as the study with that is essentially like kicked off with, especially with like professionals in like the workplace and since then, it has like taken off with like studies uh, for decades to come. And the other thing I will know is that I don't think it's actually technically listed in the DSM, but also at the same time, the DSM gets updated literally, well, like every couple decades or every few years and such. So, well, that's a big difference between the two, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. The DSM is constantly always like. Yes. And I, I don't think it is in the DSM and I don't know. I don't know if it will end up in the DSM or not. And I know few people take umbrage with the DSM anyway. I mean, the DSM's trying its best, but I guess, I don't know. I really don't know a whole lot about the DSM, but yes, you're correct. It's not, you're correct on almost all, on all counts. The origin is, um, there was a paper written by Pauline Rose Clance and her colleague, Suzanne Imez. So they had a 1978 paper called the imposter phenomenon in high achieving women. So the source of all of the, the conversation about imposter, which they called it an imposter phenomenon, which I kind of want to get into that in a, in a minute as well was in the context of women in the workplace and in the decades since studies have shown that everyone essentially suffers from some degree of imposter syndrome but i think there are reasons why at least originally it came up in the context of women i think to this day it comes up in conversation a lot more about uh, around women and, and also people of color in the workplace and i have a lot of thoughts about that and I, I do want to talk about that as well, but the definition of imposter phenomenon or imposter syndrome, at least the way that Pauline Clance and Suzanne Mez talked about it is, quote, despite outstanding accomplishments, people persist in believing that they are really not bright and have fooled anyone who thinks otherwise. So I underline that fooled anyone who thinks otherwise, because I think that's a big part of it. And I also have a quote here from Maya Angelou, who is a fabulous author who is you know, great mind regeneration. And even she, she has this quote where she said, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh Oh, they're going to find out now I've run a game on everybody and they're going to find me out. So it's just one of those things that even high achieving people who have visual validation that they are talented and good at what they do can still suffer from this idea that they are essentially fooling everyone. I, I, I it's funny, you know, I think I don't think I needed to actually give the definition of imposter syndrome because I feel like it is something that almost everyone, at least of our generation, is aware of and has dealt with at some point in their life, if not constantly. So I certainly have. I don't know about yourself. No, I definitely have. And when I was researching imposter syndrome, uh, I came across a stat from like psychology today 
So just a lot of like updated things that like have been like recently recorded about 25 to 30 percent of high achievers typically suffer from it like day to day, whereas then 70 percent of like the uh, at least the American population experiences at least at some point in their life, usually uh, relating to some type of profession or career path that they have. So, yeah, not only me, but as I've talked with a lot of friends and family, it's definitely real, especially as people like work or they tend to be a little bit more of like high achievers working through the space, but no, definitely from person to person. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I I have to wonder if it's not much higher than that percentage wise, because I struggle to think about what a person that doesn't contend or hasn't ever contended with imposter syndrome would have to be like. I mean, and that's, I do want to get into that. Like, what is the difference between imposter syndrome and like, regular run-of-the-mill self-doubt is there a difference because like i think it is possible that maybe the term is overused these days but i don't really want to ring the bell about that because i think one of the reasons why it's blown up so much recently is with the whole mental health culture is shifting more towards recognizing that mental health is important and that everyone kind of deals with mental health things and i think for a lot of folks of our generation who are still relatively early in their careers or where a lot of us are contending with imposter syndrome quite a bit, especially as we move on from like being that like early career to like mid career where you're like moving into potentially positions of management or positions of having more greater responsibility and like being a person who is an expert at things. Yeah. I think it's, it's only going to become more talked about as our culture shifts even more, hopefully fingers crossed towards an acceptance of mental health. No, definitely. I mean, I think that's a really good point. And I also just want to know, how is it that imposter syndrome would come up amongst from person to person, especially when you think about like cross race, cross class and like identity. And I think for some folks, especially if they do have like privilege, I would question like, does that actually come up in a way where imposter syndrome essentially roots itself in self doubt? And then whereas others depending on work environments, if it doesn't feel like it's actually inclusive and a safe space, then you're trying to navigate an experience where your own identity, wherever it may be, is something that's not validated. And then you're working through like essentially this illusionment of like, how is it that I'm going to navigate through this workspace amongst like my colleagues? So I, I think it becomes really complicated depending on like who you are as an individual, but I think imposter syndrome really can stem from so many different facets of like life and like for person to person absolutely i think that's majorly true and and that's the thing like you know as a white man i experience imposter syndrome and i think there are certain ways in which at least for a man experiencing imposter syndrome there's some precarities to that insofar as like we are socialized to not ask for help not talk about our emotions as much and not not admit that we are feeling weak. Right. And I think that's challenging to deal with as a man, just in general, white or not. But I think you're absolutely right. One big thing that comes up with talking about imposter syndrome, and even that's kind of what I was getting at with it originally was studied in context of women, particularly high achieving women is how do I even phrase this? Cause there's so much, um, if you are a woman or a person of color in the workforce in America, America being a white patriarchal society, Mm -hmm. you are just automatically going to be bumping up against more barriers 
And because of that, you are more likely to experience this imposter complex because to your point, in certain workplaces, you might even be looked at as an imposter or looked at as, I mean, we know there's all these shitty conversations about, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? Uh, where they're like, oh, you've got quotas for affirmative action. What were you saying? Uh, Deadlines or something? No, affirmative action. So I remember that was like a big to-do, big moral panic back when I was like in middle school or high school. I can remember folks grumbling about it in the conservative community that I grew up in where it's like, oh, you know, they're going to give jobs to black people because they're black and not because they're as qualified and you know there's going to be white candidates who are just as qualified if not more and they're not going to get the position because they're not a person of color and first of all that's all nonsense and second of all i mean there's a lot of complex kind of things to talk about behind that but because of that like i know for a fact that there are people who think that and a lot of those people tend to be old white men and old white men tend to be the people who are in charge at any given country. I mean, obviously we're moving towards a more equitable society, but still there's this hegemonic control of society from old white men. So it follows. I think I'm, if, if there's anybody out here listening, that's a person of color, they're like, yeah, duh. You know what I mean? I'm not telling you about anything that, that they haven't heard before, but you're in a workforce that is actively looking at you actively or there can't there's a lot of subconscious ways you know that they're they're kind of not expecting you to be as good at your job or be as qualified to be doing your job and if you have that if you have people who are actively looking at you like that of course you're going to experience imposter syndrome that's not your fault that's the fault of the society that we live in and the people who fall prey to thinking in those patterns in our society and that's why i can't in good faith. I mean, I do want to talk about imposter syndrome. I do want to talk about my own challenges with imposter syndrome, but my imposter syndrome comes from, I think a little bit being a white man, I think makes it where other white men just expect me to be more competent. And maybe I'm like, uh, maybe I'm not that competent. Maybe I just got into this room because I'm a white man. Maybe my privilege is what got me here versus people who have fought tooth and nail to get to where they are and they are definitely competent and they are definitely deserving of being in, in a place and yet people are still looking at them as though they aren't that's a totally different conversation so i feel like i've talked a lot i'd love to hear more of your thoughts about this well you know i i, I think you mentioned something really fascinating noting that like a lot of other colleagues in the past that you've worked with have had like this high expectation of you being like a white male in the workforce I want to ask you a quick question before I share some of like my personal experiences or thoughts. Mm-hmm. Have you had then colleagues like outright say things that would be microaggressions towards other colleagues who would be POC who are not in the same room? So it's more of like the white person talking to another white person behind closed doors. Have you actually even heard like explicit microaggressions or people just saying things that are a bit like, whoa, you're, you're like on one right now to even make that assumption around like someone's productivity or competency in the workplace? just because based off of some discriminatory like thoughts or assumptions. I think I definitely have. I can't think of specifics right now in this moment, especially because for the last two years, I haven't ever like been in a room with someone, you know, I've I've been working from home all this time. So I'm almost never just like chatting with someone that I work with. But in the time prior, again, I can't think of any specific cases, but particularly around women, I feel like I've heard 
some other some of my colleagues describe them in ways that I think are dicey, you know, like she's uptight or she's uh, I don't know if I could ever remember, you know, someone straight up calling another one of our colleagues like a bitch behind her back, but something insinuating that that a, a female colleague is a bitch because they are a competent woman who doesn't take shit, which, yeah, I have I have thoughts about that too because like the whole like lean in movement of like oh women need to be they need to be you know more like men is like not what i think the answer is it's like we need to have workspaces that don't reward bloated senses of confidence but anyway answer to answer your question i believe i have been in in, seen that yes no yeah I, i definitely appreciate like your thoughts on that and like sharing like your experiences wow i mean i know that obviously that happens with amongst a lot of men talking about like women in like those really like dicey or just really disrespectful like ways so hearing that just yeah i'm just wrapping my head around that because i do know it happens but for the longest i can remember i've been working in staff that mainly um the only like male on staff so yeah yeah wow but thanks for sharing andrew yeah in terms of like personal experiences for me i think one of the first major times that i really started to experience imposter syndrome was Definitely around college time, especially applying for colleges as I would go on like college interviews. And I remember I would wear like really nice Nikes and then like sometimes like a nice like suit or pants and stuff. But I would always get like the gaze from like a elderly white person and they would look at like my like kicks and stuff like that. Or like they'll like take a look at my hair because as you know me, Andrew, I have a lot of designs in my hair and I always have like fresh fades. I have very like curly tight, like Afro like hair. And so at the time when I was exploring kind of my hair identity, I sometimes would get the uh, the casual like flight lines. I don't know if you know what flight lines are, but they're essentially just really simple, just like edges or lines that go right into the fade. Yeah. Usually at the edge or you could get it towards the back of the head. I, get, I should get some simple ones pretty soon because I get some pretty intricate stuff lately. Yeah, which but, by hey, the way. For listeners, D recently got a haircut and you're looking dope, dude. It looks fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Yo, shout out to my uh, Barbara Purple. Uh, hit me up on Instagram if you need the deets. I'll definitely share where you can get the fresh cut in Denver. But I remember getting those stares and it just felt, I felt embarrassed about myself. And I felt like humiliated to try to be vulnerable and open to try to have this interview and like try to engage with this process. And it really made me like really jaded throughout the college experience. And as I then worked through actual college itself and courses, and I would meet with professors, I would sometimes get some of the craziest microaggressions where I remember one time a professor during office hours when I went to go meet them before like the actual class would like start. The first time I had ever met her after I said a few sentences, uh, she literally told me like, wow, you speak really well. Oh, my God. And I was like, yo, (laughs) that is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Not at least like to me personally, but at least within like a professional setting. And it wouldn't be the uh, last time that I would ever hear like a comment like that. But I remember just like thinking to myself, I need to bite my tongue because at the end of the day, I have to really work through the system, get the good grades and stuff. Yeah. If I could go back in time, obviously, I think I would certainly look to like stand up for myself. But going through that experience, it made me then think, wow, I'm definitely in a different situation where I know that my race and my identity is certainly being pitted against me and I need to certainly try to work twice as hard to then even show that I'm quote unquote competent or at least belong in the same space. 
And that's something that I think I've been able to unshed and feel a lot more comfortable, especially as I know which work environments to look for. Because especially if I go into a work interview, I definitely know how to press on an interviewer and an employer exactly, hey, are you actually doing the work that's going to be more inclusive and like make people feel more like validated in the work experiences? Because at the end of the day, I'm still going to feel imposter syndrome just based off just working through project to project just because I always have that sense of like self-doubt. Right. So if I can try to like shovel some of that weight off of me, I'm definitely going to do it. And then within the past few years, as I've been exploring like uh, my queer identity, that definitely has been like another thing that I feel like has also piled up onto like my sense of like imposter syndrome, because I feel like I am oftentimes like the token queer person on staff. Mm. And I think there's a lot of assumptions around how then I can be like a pillar or like representation of the community. And that's a weight that oftentimes doesn't necessarily feel comfortable with, but maybe it's also something I'm trying to lean into. But that also kind of just weighs down as I try to like deal with my own self-doubt just in skills or really practical things that's grounded to my day-to-day responsibilities in my job. Yeah, man, that's so interesting. I, I definitely want to hear more about that just because I feel like there's two sides to every whatever. That's, that's not too, I, I, I hate that phrase. I, I wish I hadn't said it. But kind of this idea of like any given person or any given identity is not a monolith, right? So like any end of any given black person shouldn't have to represent all black people. Any given Dominican shouldn't have to represent all Dominican. Any given queer person shouldn't have to represent all queer people like you're saying. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, if you are the only and the first queer person in an office, what do you, it's not your responsibility to teach people about what that means, but do you feel that responsibility? Do you feel like, where do you, where do you come down on that? Like, you know, so obviously there's been a big push for like DI work or Jedi work. So DI, obviously diversity, equity, inclusion, Jedi, which is then justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Yo, Jedi? I've not heard that before. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, I've, I've dropped that term a few times uh, in, in spaces and in community in the past like few months. And people definitely have been like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm like, yo, you got to put justice in there too. Yo, like there's a lot of work to be done. What is the E again? Oh, uh, equity. Equity. Yeah. Okay. But talking about or navigating through those type of spaces, especially if an organization is looking to really reflect and implement steps or more of an inclusive like culture. Oftentimes when it gets to certain identities or certain like topics around that, where if it's either POC or anything like queer related or LGBTQ plus, I definitely feel like it's, it's, it's generally been over zoom, but I do feel like there's eyes lingering and locking on me. And I don't know if that's in my head, Mm -hmm. but I feel like that is kind of what has to happen. If it's like, if you're around a room or a table or whatever zoom call with folks and I'm either the only or one of the few folks and you're trying to navigate and try to get voice or narrative that of course is inherently going to put pressure on me and the other folks who would also be within the same camp. Right. And it can be really uncomfortable because it's, if you are the only person, there's this whole dynamic where how do I try to communicate this in a way that's going to feel representative of a whole community and that's a really big pressure and weight that unless like i feel like you feel like you're already comfortable in that i don't know i mean i guess like and i'm i I know i'm about to pin a question on you but it's like can you share experiences and i actually am curious but like can you share experiences where you felt like you've had to be representative of like white males i don't know that i could say i've 
had experiences where I had to represent white males just because, you know, um, it's a dominated. It's right. Society. Yeah. But I can't speak to <laughs> the the eyes that you're getting in the Zoom meeting. Like that is so real because, you know, a challenge that we white folks experience, which to be very clear up front, this is a this is a non-issue. OK, this is not a real <laughs> challenge especially compared to anything that the people of color and, and uh, other sexualities experience. But having or, or or knowing what you're supposed to do as a white person is a confusing thing, especially when you're someone like me who like has come to the realization that there's this hegemonic white patriarchal thing controlling our society, right? So like, I know, and I know I'm part of that. So it's always like, should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I allow space for others to to talk? Should I, or if I'm allowing space for others to talk, am I kind of forcing them to talk? Am I trying, am I forcing them to be on the stage as a monolithic representation of their community? Should I be talking so that I can prove that it's not just like us white men and us white people should also be standing up for these things? It is, there is a constantly confusing thing there, which again, still easier, I assume than being not a white man but it just cracks me up because it's i know that like feeling of like what am i supposed to do right now like what i don't want how do i not be i don't want to be part of the problem you know so i think that anybody any any woke quote-unquote white person these days is constantly like ah fuck i don't want to be part of the problem what do i do how do i not be a problem and my general philosophy is like just treat people like individuals and like people but it's not always that simple in practice and it's and sometimes there's like that awkwardness which like oh no white people us white people we have to deal with awkward situations now that's like that's the scourge of of our current situation to, to hear some people say it. it's like oh my god i have to feel awkward occasionally this is awful but yeah i can't say i've ever had to represent a white man in a in a community i, I sadly enough so <laughs> No, but hey, no, I mean, that that's absolute truth, because as you know, like I've worked through different like social justice communities or cohorts and stuff like that in the past and obviously really diverse crowds. So a lot of folks who would be like white identifying and there certainly is like a difference with that. But right. regardless, in the communities, as we would then reflect and share as like a cohort or a group, people would know, hey definitely really struggling to figure out how to show up in this space and not only be authentic to who I am, but also give the space to other people who are like POC whether or like cross class or cross gender and stuff. So that way they can actually have the time and space to share their perspectives, their stories, and most importantly, like amplify their voice and navigating that is really difficult. Like, I mean, I at least can imagine. So, uh, that is real. That is definitely like a real thing to like work through. Would it be an issue? I know you said it's a non-issue, but I, I would certainly agree. Like I wouldn't say it's like, damn, that's a pretty big problem. <laughs> right. It's not something that we structurally need to ad uh, address. Right. Yeah, use a Kleenex for you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like, you know, cry, cry in the corner. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. My, my like one, if I could bring it back to an area where I feel comfortable, it, like in terms of class analysis, I think a lot of this teaching needs to really be it. The teaching seems to be focused on like the general workforce 
and I think in reality, this needs to be things that are taught to the bosses, you know, the CEOs and the administrations of things. They're the people who really need to understand the shit and don't seem to. But I'm not saying I don't think that the general workforce needs to understand these things as well. But it's like until the people who are in power understand and agree with these issues, it's still going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I think what I would probably say, though, is I think CEOs do know the problems and they do understand it. It's just they know how to manipulate it and use it to their benefit and their power. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a constant question of is it evil or is it ignorance? And I think it's probably a mix. I think you're right. There's certainly people, the people who are like in the like real, real high up, you know, powers. I think they know. And I think they are actively trying to prevent a I don't want to use the term cultural revolution because I think that's a fraught term, but any given manager is not necessarily an actor against race and, and class relations. They might just be someone who is ignorant, you know? Yeah, no, no, that's certainly a good point as well. Not to be clear that that's an excusable thing to be ignorant because a lot of hatred comes from ignorance and a lot of shit comes from ignorance. Just want to make that clear. Yeah. Until, until said CEO says, damn. We used to be a proper country. Yeah, my fucking God, dude. Yeah. <laughs> when? <laughs> oh. Well, yeah. This it, it was interesting. You know, I wanted to talk about imposter syndrome because I'm like, oh yeah, sometimes I don't feel I don't feel good. I'm when I'm at work, I don't feel good. But then I started looking into it and it's like, ah fuck, this is like a very intersectional issue. And I, you know, I still deal with this. I still deal with this self-doubt, but it's like I deal with self-doubt because I'm a human being and I think every human being deals with self-doubt. And there are times where I, where I feel like I'm that self-doubt is breaching into the imposter syndrome area. And I do feel like there are some negative male socializations. Like I was talking about earlier that maybe affect me more in certain ways, like just the general socialization of like, you should be tough. You should be, you know, you don't need to ask for help, whatever. But Yeah looking at this stuff's like I, I don't know if this is my topic to to discuss as much well i know i mean andrew you know i always appreciate your thoughts your input and all so i think the way like you're showing up even just to have a conversation and discussion is really just in itself like a like a monument or like an achievement so yeah That's i'm just fucking glad dope. i'm glad you're here or else like most podcasts this would just be another me across the room talking to me about it so this is good Oh, thank you, Andrew. I'm glad you're here and having the conversation. Not to put, you know, make you like the monolith or ah, fuck. Ah, I Damn, don't know. Now I got to represent the community. Yo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm feeling like hand me a tissue. Now I'm feeling awkward. I need to cry. <laughs> I can't believe you'd make me feel awkward. D. How <laughs> dare you? This used to be a proper podcast. <laughs> it's all good. As long as I'm hanging out with you, as long as I can get shielded by that white privilege. Yeah, um, you got it, baby. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah. it. I'll give you a little of the dopeness. You give me a little of the uh, WP. That's 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 the yo. You want some WP? I got you. Yeah. <laughs> that's the trade we do here. Yeah, I I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on imposter syndrome? One thing I was thinking about is one of the wildest, not necessarily wildest, but just really interesting times that I've come across it in people, at least within a group setting. One story I really want to share really quick is that. So I have a really good friend uh, who went to Harvard, Harvard law grad, and 
I remember the around like the first or second weekend that he was there. He told me like, hey, classes are going to get pretty crazy. So come up. We're going to have some house parties throughout the weekend. You get to meet some of like my classmates and some of like the friends that I'm making. So we'll go out to like dinner, get drinks, and then we'll head out to like the parties. Head out to the parties, chilling in Cambridge and stuff. I'm like, damn, this is pretty off the chain. Like Harvard kids, like I, I didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I had been a bit of a partier throughout like college and like late high school. I just didn't really know what to expect. Show up to the party. It's a really dope pong tournament that they've set up. They have all these like drinks and stuff like that. And it's a good size. Like there's probably about 20 plus grad students there. All of like different ages. Most are usually mid 20s, late 20s, few in like their like mid 30s as well. And we're all just like playing pong, hanging out, drinking, going out for the occasional cigarette. Because, you know, I, I can imagine a lot of grad students are probably chain smoking or getting their way through it. Well, they're probably doing other things as well, too. But whatever they can. Yeah. Hey, do, do, do what you got to do to get through. That's right. And it's interesting because leading up to that party, I remember my friend would tell me how much he feels like he did not belong there. And he would drop the word like imposter syndrome with me. We're like, damn, I mean, I can't really relate because it's like you're at this like upper echelon, like achievement that people look at Harvard and it's like on this like pedestal. And as I would like start to engage with people throughout the night, they would then start to get a little bit more inebriated or a little bit more loose. And they would just have conversations and they would tell me like where they're from. And people are from like all over the place, either all over the U.S. or also international and they would just say, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. I'm really glad. And I would ask them the question and be like, so like, how are you feeling? Like first couple of weeks being here and then be like, honestly, I feel like I don't really belong here. I feel like I have imposter syndrome. I'm like, damn, I feel like I definitely have heard that like a couple of times from a few other people. Probably fast forward by like 2 a.m. By the time I'm like smoking cigarettes with people outside, having a couple other drinks, there's like two other people I'm chatting with. And I'm like, so how does it feel to like be here? They're fe- and they're like, I don't really feel like I belong here. Wow. I feel like I have, and I would just finish their sentence like imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hear that. So just being around like this crowd, as we were noting earlier, just all these high achievers, it literally resonates and really like stings true for like people, even in just like more of that like technical driven aspect of just skill or even quote unquote prestige or achievement around. For sure. I, you know, as we're talking to this, I'm kind of wondering, I wonder if imposter syndrome is just kind of a more career or education based form of social anxiety or like a similar or a sister to social anxiety, because I feel like that I've struggled with that in the past. And I know a lot of folks who struggle, with, you know, still from time to time. Absolutely. Everybody every now and then wonders if their friends secretly hate them. You know, one time I got really high and I was like, I think I might be mentally handicapped and my friends just feel bad for me and that's why they're hanging out with me that was a weird that was a weird time to- <laughs> wait, wait, wait first of all red alert <laughs> bro what are you just saying <laughs> oh, wait, can you run that back for me? yeah dude yeah i can run it back oh it was in college yeah it was in college i was um I'd gone to a uh, concert in Virginia. Even we drove up to go see Pretty Lights and Bass Nectar in Virginia. Bass Lights, baby, represent. Anyway, this I was, don't know what that means. I'm sorry. Oh no, this is me revealing kind of my my dark past. But I was on some psychedelic enhancing substances, having a pretty good time. 
partying, whatever. And then it was time to go back to everybody was finally crashing because there was another there was it was a two night event. So we were all going back to the hotel. I was actually sleeping on the floor at the time because I was 20 years old. So I could just nothing mattered. You know, I could just sleep on the fucking ground and hold on. Rewind just a little bit. Before I went to bed, I smoked a grab bomb straight to the face. Then I laid down on the floor. My one buddy laid in one bed and then my other buddy, Brian, actually was in the other bed. And I'm laying there and as the grav bong starts to take effect, you know, I am I am bursting into the outer atmosphere. I am flying into outer space. I'm absolutely losing my mind. And then my buddies start talking in their sleep, but like to each other. So they would be like, one of them would be like, and then the other one would be like, and then that kept going on for a little while. And in my state, I couldn't comprehend what was happening. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Are they talking in another language? Are they talking? Are they making fun of me? And I very quickly spiraled into this like weird fucking social anxiety zone of hell that I was thinking like every the most horrifying thoughts I could possibly come up with about myself. And one of them that I land on was that I was in some way, shape or form mentally disabled and they were everyone that i knew for my whole life which was 20 years at this point every single person was they felt bad for me and they were pretending that i was their real friend because i was like a charity case yeah and that's 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 what happened yeah wow we walking on eggshells right now baby but i'll just say (laughs) (laughs) i'm just saying that's what i thought that was 12 no sorry it was 10 years ago <laughs> hey no 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 you you ain't gotta defend yourself it was a dark um, time yeah you know i mean i think that's kind of like because i've had moments where i've gotten so ridiculous high like high that my reality or sense of like myself being has completely shifted or just flipped to 180 so no i totally get that and who knows maybe that is the truth <laughs> why am i doing this podcast with you andrew jesus christ dude don't do this to me man don't do this to me please if people were being nice to me we'd have more listeners not that we don't we got plenty i'm I'm really happy about it but oh man we gotta be good to andrew everybody oh my so God, please listen Stop to our it. podcast <laughs> no I'm, i don't want to go back there this is why i don't get high anymore because i can't like if i was if i was even the slightest bit stoned i would be like oh fuck it's real i knew it <laughs> all those years ago <laughs> Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I think I think it's probably a good place to take a break. Where what was I talking about? I feel like I was making a point. Oh, I think you were talking about imposter syndrome and how it ties into social anxiety that is pretty much like opted by like the like professional workspace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was jo- making the making the joke about how I think everybody has those moments where they're like not sure if their friends are mad at them or if their friends are, you know, like oh man talking behind their backs whatever it it feels like it's a a sister phenomenon to imposter syndrome maybe but now that i've talked about believing the things that i believed momentarily in a hotel room in virginia 10 years ago i think we probably um exhausted this topic so you want to take a quick break grab another beer yeah grab bongs will do that and let's take a break don't yeah be careful (laughs) Be, be responsible all right be right back and we're back andrew all right d what's up Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Having fun on this pod. Yeah. So. Maybe too much fun. 
Well, not too much fun. <laughs> not too much fun. Watch out, everybody. So gonna try a new segment this week, especially as uh, one of our listeners reached out and they suggested it and we were like, hey, we fuck with this actually. Yeah. So what we're gonna ask is, you with it or not? Nah? Gonna ask you a subject or a topic on something and we're gonna share on whether or not we actually fuck with it. So the topic I really wanted to bring up today was sleeping with jeans on or nah. <laughs> yeah, when you told me about this one before, before we recorded today, I, I cracked up because I already kind of know that this is a controversial topic. And I think I've got some good things to say, good thoughts about it, because what you might not know about me, D, is I used to be a big jeans sleeper and a big jeans wearer, a jeans lounger, if you will. So in my aforementioned story where I was sleeping on the floor of the hotel, I was almost certainly wearing jeans on the floor of that hotel. And I used to wear, especially partying a lot in college, you end up sleeping in random places. And a lot of times I was sleeping with my jeans on and I would have, would have at the time and still would to this day tell you that it was comfortable. But when I moved in really with, with Addy is when it started, I would just always be wearing jeans. Like every day, you know, I wake up, I put jeans on and then I, you know, live my life and then usually I would take the jeans off to go to bed if, if I wasn't, you know, like crashing somewhere or whatever. But when I moved in with Addie, she started giving me a lot of shit about it and talk about how it was psychotic to be lounging in jeans. And I resisted for a while, probably like a couple years. But then at one point I relented and I bought a pair of joggers and, um, it's hard to go back, man. It is the life of luxury over here. I mean, you see, I'm wearing these sweatpants. I'm feeling good. Got the sweats on. You do. I got the sweatpants on. I call my fat pants. So (laughs) I really like when I go out, you know, we wear, I wear, put my jeans on my tight jeans. Don't let Gen Z hear that. Apparently Gen Z is like not about the tight jeans. I don't think my jeans are that tight. They're not like, so like they're not skinny jeans. Although I do have a pair of skinny jeans. No shame. But Gen Z's apparently what I, what I've heard rumors of is Gen Z's not about the skinny jeans. So just be careful. Just know that. I mean, I'm all about skinny jeans because I'm fucking like, what, like five foot five. Maybe if I put my like Tim's on, I'm five foot six on a good day. So yeah, wearing like straight jeans is going to look ridiculous on me. So yeah, I like skinny jeans too because I got legs for days over here and I like to show them off. So anyway, Gen Z, don't come after us. <laughs> TikTokers. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? Um. Yeah, whenever we go out, I put jeans on and I love when I get home, I usually go straight upstairs and switch into the uh, switch into my fat pants primarily because like, you know, I ate too much and I need to unbuckle the belt and like just let it rest. So that's where I'm coming from. That's that's what I'm with. You know, I used to be a jeans lounger. Not really anymore. Sometimes sometimes I will. But, you know, I'm unbuckling them to sit on the couch when I'm home alone. So that's me. No, eh? I hear that. I fuck with it. I fuck with it really hard, actually. Yeah. I lived with roommates for the past several years. They've seen me literally knock out on the couch Mm -hmm. or just hang out throughout the whole day going well into the night. I'm a night owl, so I'm literally up to like 2, 3 a.m. And we'll have jeans on. I just think they feel comfortable. And normally, if I'm especially wearing like whatever outfits that I put out for the day, you know, I usually fuck with what I'm wearing. Yeah. So I want to feel it. I want to feel that energy. Sometimes I'm going to put on the the pods and I'm going to listen to some music, going to be vibing, especially throughout maybe like the work day or if I'm cooking, doing some cleaning. I want to feel like I'm actually kind of like dressed and ready for that. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I fuck with sweats. I do put those on. Okay. And they do feel real nice and comfy. And like, I love it, especially on a nice cool day. And it's like fall or like winter, but I'm going to fall asleep in jeans and I feel really comfortable in them. Now I'm, when I get ready for bed, like when I'm going to go to bed tonight, I am either going to, I do either three things. If it's a little chilly, I'm definitely going to put the sweats on. If not, maybe underwear, but goddamn, just sleeping in the nude feel good. Dude. Yeah. same it's, it's amazing same it feels so good yes and i i've looked it up before i think it's because it's like the sensation that your body has with like touching like whatever fabric which i think is just so fascinating so like nerve endings fuck yeah so dope yeah <laughs> um stimulate me yeah let my um, penis touch those sheets baby <laughs> that's what we're talking about <laughs> that's what i'm gonna say when i go to bed and it's just my <laughs> sheets so yeah <laughs> oh jesus uh, sheets are the most intimate thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I fuck with jeans though. I really do. And it's not even because of like whatever drunk nights that I've had and I just knock out on the couch. It literally is just, I feel comfortable. I get nestled up, blankies, put myself in a little cocoon. I do wrap myself in a cocoon when I sleep. And then I just like knock out on them and I think they feel comfy. Now the thing is, if it's almost like an overnight thing. I'll usually will wake up at 2 a.m. And that's because around that time, I usually will like half asleep, walk to the fridge and usually munch on something. I don't know why I just got to do it. It's a habit. Okay. I have really bad sleep habits. And then I'll switch over to like maybe just like underwear or just rock it full bear. Yeah. Real quick on the sleep habits thing. I, I was reading something recently where we kind of have this weird idea in society that you should be going to bed and laying there for eight hours every night. But there's been some research recently. It's like people have different sleep patterns. So if you like wake up in the middle of the night and like do something and then go back to bed, that's totally normal. I, I personally generally don't do that. Sometimes I wake up and I have to go to the bathroom. Sometimes I don't, but no shame, no shame in that. As long as you feel all right. You know what I mean? No, I hear that. I guess I just wish that I could fall asleep and it's like a blink. Then it's the next day. Yeah. I don't really need a dream. Yeah. I don't No, no, no. I used to be really into dreams. We could, we we could talk about this at a later date, but I used to lucid dream a lot in college because there's like this thing where like to lucid dream, if you wake up and then go back to sleep, you lucid dream a lot. And I had like early classes one year and I would wake up and go to those early classes, basically like nearly sleep through those classes. And then I would come back to my dorm room basically and like crash in this love seat. So it was like this not fully restful sleep because I was on a love seat. And I had already been awake and then I went back to sleep. And for some reason, that was like the perfect storm where three times a week I would lucid dream right there. That's I've never lucid dreamed before and I've never lucid dreamed since. But I used to lucid dream like multiple times a week. It was crazy. But these days, yeah, I don't really remember my dreams and I don't need to. Yeah, no, I mean, two things. Lucid dreaming is really dope. Well, Sometimes I've had nightmares and I start lucid dreaming and I'm like, get me the fuck out. <laughs> and then like I've had like sleep paralysis sometimes where like you literally oh feel yourself God, like dude. struggling and shaking and it's uh, it's the fucking worst. Other thing you said love seat. Yeah. What is that? Or did you mean love sack? What love seat? What is a love sack? Well, I don't know what a love seat is, but I'll tell you what a love sack is. Yeah, please it's these do. amazing like beanbag chairs. If you go to like a bougie ass mall. So if you literally go to a uh, cherry Creek mall right out there. Mm-hmm. They have a love sack right there. And I used to work at bougie malls since I used to work for lush and there would be uh love sacks usually in the same like plazas pop into one. If you ever get the chance and then just put your booty down in a love sack. It's pretty love incredible. Sack is a little old place where 
We can't. Anyway. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that off the dome or is that like a reference to a song? Love Shack is a song. Oh, I didn't know that. Love Shack. Yeah, it's a weird song. It's like, you guys have a shack that you fuck in? That's like what the point of the song is. Anyway. Um, <laughs> love Sack. Okay. Interesting name. I guess it makes sense. But no, a love seat. So, okay. Something that viewers might not know and you might not know about me, D, is that I am a furniture prince insofar as my parents own and operate i don't know if i should say that on the air people might harass them <laughs> i don't know I'm, I'm, I'm honestly questioning it now I'm like shit should i should i not say that well i just want to say if you order online and use lore of the week 20 <laughs> you can get 20 percent off on your first purchase from i'm gonna beep it out that's what i'm gonna do anyway they own a furniture store so i know things about furniture but i also don't think love's I don't know. I don't think love seat is like it. Maybe it's a white people thing. I don't know. Love seat's basically like almost what you're sitting on right now, or it's like a couch that is not long enough. So it's like if you think of a normal couch as being three cushions, you know, a love seat is two cushions, basically. So it's just like a shorter couch or like a wider chair. No, no. Okay. I actually didn't realize that. Right now, with where I'm living with my roommates, we don't have a full on couch. So we would technically have a love seat. Because I'm so short, I actually fall asleep on it all the time. I mean, dude, I fall, fell asleep on love seat all the time, too. There's, there's honestly something about, like, I have long legs. I'm not that tall. I'm six feet, but I have long legs. But there's something about, like, scrunching up in a, a chair or a love seat that, like, I, I can get behind. I, I think it's called a love seat, by the way, because it's a two person couch. I think that's kind of like the conceit of a love seat. I don't know. Anyway. Damn. Pretty central time, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about? Oh, sleeping with jeans. Sleeping, <laughs> sleeping with jeans. Yeah. I don't, I don't, uh, it's been a long time, but I can understand where you're coming from. That's where yeah. I'm at. Shout out to our boy, Devin, number one fan for recommending this, this segment. What, what, what did you call it T? What was the name? You with it or not? Nah. You with it or not? Nah. Yeah. I was thinking we could call it something like, like debates, like, like D debates, but, um, I'm still workshopping that one. So we didn't really debate it. We struggle to find things that we actually strongly disagree on, I think, but we'll get there. I think we will get there. Right yeah. now, I think it's more you were once a gene sleeper. Right. You have switched sides. So you understand my perspective and my experiences that I currently live through. But we will definitely find something that we will butt heads on. We need to be more polarizing, D. We need to be more strongly against each other's beliefs. So let's work on that. Yeah. We'll work on it. Yeah. We'll work on it. That was not a good job. You just immediately agreed with me. Come on, man. <laughs> I need you to be like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that. That's how we get better. <laughs> fuck, fuck your thoughts, Andrew. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll give it, we'll give it some work. Oh shit! Are you good to hop into some random lore? Yeah, let's get into it. Alrighty, you got anything? Yeah, you know, I have one thing. This came to public, and I got it from Vice.com, and I thought this was pretty ridiculous, even though it's years a little bit dated. I think it's just an amazing story just to just kind of demonstrate just some of like the officers who are obviously pulled through the pipeline and get to serve the wonderful communities and do an incredible job of protecting and serving. Mm -hmm. And this story came out of two former LAPD officers, a Luis Lanzano and Eric Mitchell, who were fired for essentially ignoring 
and actively moving the opposite way of a reported call of a robbery. So that way they could go on Pokemon Go and capture a Snorlax. Yes, I saw this. This story was incredibly amazing because it happened in April 2017. And all of the pretty much notes and court records that happened as they would record their conversation and then obviously the correspondence throughout the, the trials and then all of the interviews that would happen. Yeah, they pretty much avoided a robbery that was happening at a Macy's at the Los Angeles Crenshaw Mall and literally went down just an alleyway just to avoid it and then went to whatever few blocks in the opposite direction and spent the next 20 minutes trying to capture Snorlax. (laughs) Now, I didn't really get too much into the Pokemon Go phase or I don't know phase. I I know people are still playing it, but when it was at its most popular, there was a phase. There was a phase. Yeah. I believe Snorlaxes were one of the hardest Pokemons to catch because it took quite a bit of time. And so there's just a footnote that pretty much in the documents, there's a lot of recorded uh, footage or pretty much audio recordings of them just saying, oh, you got to catch it. You got to use this. You actually got to like work into it. Meanwhile, while the robbery is going on, people at a recent homicide or police at a recent homicide actually got pulled from the scene to actually then try to like respond to the other. Oh my so God. just a big, like, what the fuck are you even doing? <laughs> on like your day to day. But with one of the court footnotes inside the evidence, what they had to note was what a Snorlax was, because obviously <laughs> it has to be professional. And they noted a Snorlax is a Pokemon creature known as the sleeping Pokemon. And, just noting all these creatures all throughout as opposed to just direct Pokemons, I just think is absolutely hilarious to read through. But yeah, these documents came recently publicly because they finally were fired. Why the fuck does it take this long for these type of reports and transparency to come through? Eh, uh, well, I, I would have a couple guesses, but yeah, just wanted to share that about like the glorious uh, PD. Sam. Yeah, LA's finest, baby. That's amazing. I love that there's like a Pokedex intrigue in the court notes, which is not relevant at all doesn't matter what kind of pokemon was very funny that it was snorlax though i rode the pokemon go wave for sure i would love a end of watch movie but about the story with them going on pokemon go i'm not familiar with end of watch end of watch is pretty much jake gyllenhaal and michael pena uh both officers it's a dope movie i definitely actually would recommend it uh follows their uh life in the day or at least maybe a couple days as like police officers but it's really grounded in the way where like they're really gritty and oftentimes it's like oh shit these are the people who are in it and it's yeah. like doesn't feel good necessarily <laughs> so but would be amazing to get jake gyllenhaal and michael pena as the two people going to catch a snorlax yeah or maybe like um kevin james you know maybe kevin james could play the snorlax is that mean sorry kevin james <laughs> anyway that, i love that story. or andy circus Dude would put in the most compelling like Snorlax yes. performance ever. He would bring that Snorlax to life. Baby. Yeah. It would for be sure. like, whoa, this is the best fucking Snorlax <laughs> I've ever seen. Top three for sure. I got some. You ready for him? I am. I am. First of all, are you aware with what's going on with your, your boy, Kanye? Are you, are you aware? Oh, yes. I mean, how he walked so Kanye can run. So you're talking about Julia Fox, right? No, I am not. Oh, okay. Let's go to the what? Well, okay, never mind. Um, he is currently being investigated for assaulting someone, uh, a battery charge. In fact, that I actually looked over. I was in a ski lodge today, 
ordering a Bloody Mary and I looked over and I see Kanye on TMZ. So what I've gathered from some brief Googling is there was some altercation where some fan at like 3 a.m. And, and the, like the report just came out today. So this happened within the last like 24 hours because I swear to God, TMZ know when some they, they know when someone is dead before the person knows that they're dead themselves. This was like last night, I think. So, yeah, we were told Wes got into an argument that turned physical around 3 a.m. local time Thursday when a fan asked him for his autograph while he was sitting in his SUV outside of the private club Soho Warehouse. So, yeah, apparently there was like Madonna was at the club, Evan Ross, Antonio Brown. There was some like gathering at this restaurant club Delilah on Wednesday night and then it became Thursday morning, which was, you know, this morning last night. And um, something happened with a fan and he I think he punched him. And there's like video not of him punching this guy, but of the guy like on the ground and Kanye arguing with a woman who's not Julia Fox. I think it's like someone like his a PR person or someone like one of his handlers or something. But he yeah, he seems to be like I didn't watch the video myself, but he seems to be like kind of distressed. And I know he's got bipolar disorder, so it's possible that he was struggling with that. But also he's in the middle of a divorce. But he's got his girl, Julia. Anyway, yeah, that happened. This is this is breaking news. Yeah, I actually didn't know about that headline. Damn, I mean, what a crew of people, too, especially like following up like recent events between like Antonio Brown and like, is it the Bucks? I think he was on obviously went through that whole experience and then getting like kicked off the team. So I feel like there was a lot of like energy, like going through that like night, especially as you know, it was like, yay, navigating through like a divorce and such. But it seemed like things really popped off. But honestly, Fans can be really shitty. Yeah. So we don't know what happened. We don't know what happened. We right. really don't. I probably would default to it was probably someone saying something really shitty or being pretty aggro because I feel like that probably is going to be the norm that's going to happen, especially with a lot of celebrities. Right. It's just wild though because Kanye is a billionaire. It's like that's I always have to remember that. It's fucking crazy. He's just because he's a, the easy CEO. So he's got a dude's got a billion dollars and he still like has to deal with like a fan on the street being a fucking. I don't know what happened. Who knows? I, if Connie punched me, probably shouldn't have punched him. But I don't know what the, the situation is. I'm not saying no one ever deserves to get punched in the face. I'll go on record. Yeah, it hurts. I've, have you been punched in the face? <laughs> yeah, middle school. Okay. It was stupid. Yeah. Okay, I <laughs> thought that was about to be some crazy, <laughs> the crazy story. Well, it might, maybe it was. Anyway, that's that's what's going on with Ye. Um, Julia Fox was with him in the TMZ report. Looking great. I don't really know who she is, to be honest. Have you ever seen Uncut Gems? No. Have you well, <laughs> Have you ever seen Good Time? No. Well, you definitely have not seen Heaven Knows What. So, okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'm I'm just being a little film head pretentious a little. Right. Not, it's not it's not a knock to you. I was just being, you know, I've for, seen for, some for shit. All the film heads out there. I've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's from the Safties. They're both brothers and they've been blowing up throughout Hollywood and they really cut through with uh Uncut Gems which had Adam Sandler's star as pretty much as a jewelry district jeweler. Yeah. And Julia Fox pretty much played like essentially kind of his affair, like love, try not trying. Yeah. Love triangle. And then also as like an employee for like his actual jewelry business and their dynamic is so toxic and just hilarious throughout the entire film. But she was a breakout star through that. Got it. And since then she has gone on to do a lot of like, uh, photo shoots as like modeling and then getting casted into other movies and i know even uh news just broke even like a few days ago with her being casted in like a film I'm trying to remember exactly what the details around it but it seems like it was pretty significant and such so her career is essentially like really like taking off cool 
That's so, awesome. Yeah. I would say this, watch Uncut Gems, and we can always follow up and have a conversation about Julian Fox. Yeah, I know I need to watch Uncut Gems. I've heard it's a very stressful movie to watch, but I need to check it out. Hey, you know, drink a little lavender tea as you go through it. There you go. There you go. Do you have any more random lore? I do not. Do you? Yeah, I got a couple things. Um, I want to power through them quick, though. Nothing super, super major. No no um, spine thieves in this one. One, uh, Megan Fox and Machine Gun Kelly got engaged. Do you see that? I did see that. I didn't see the actual headline, but I saw the memes around it. Same. And when I saw the picture, I was like, well, that's Machine Gun Kelly and that's Megan Fox. Yep. I assume they got engaged. Yep. Do you know anything about Machine Gun Kelly? Were you familiar with him before this? Oh, yeah, I am. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly is actually the first white rapper to win or I don't know if it is technically amateur night for if it was hip hop night, but the first white rapper to win it at the Apollo. Damn. Do you fuck with him then? Um... You know, I don't follow him or really listen to his music, but I will say on a really technical skill, like he really does have fast flows. Okay. So I wouldn't say I fuck with him, but I certainly have respect for his talent. I don't necessarily think I would probably sit down and like probably listen to like a deep cut of his like lyrics or even really put on any of his music. But he is someone who does have the talent. Don't know if he's used it in the way that would be compelling to me or that I would connect with. Right. But yeah, it's kind of like when people go back and forth about Young Thug on whether or not like he's a really good artist, but there's no denying that he has one of the most unique and technical flows in the game. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I've never, I don't think, heard any Machine Gun Kelly. He just, he seems like a ridiculous person. And the, I've really only seen him through memes. And obviously the people on Twitter are not nice to him because people on Twitter are not nice. <laughs> um, but I do fuck with Megan Fox and I don't just mean because she's, you know, beautiful. I mean, obviously when I was a kid and I saw transformers, I was like, Bleh. but then everyone really dumped on Megan Fox in a way that like retroactively kind of everyone else was super sexist because it wasn't her fault that she was being super objectified in those movies and in general, like that was definitely whatever. Michael Bay was the one who was like having her talk about her trauma with her dad, but like the camera's just pointing directly at her boobs. Like great job, Michael. Anyway, uh, and then I've recently gone back and watched um, Jennifer's Body, which is a fucking amazing movie. And she's so good in it. Have you ever seen Jennifer's Body? Oh, I love Jennifer's Body. Yeah. I mean, anything Diablo Cody writes, absolute fire. I don't know Diablo. He's he the he's the writer. Oh, she. She. Fuck. God damn it. What else has she written? Um, She wrote Juno, which she has openly admitted has not aged well. I haven't seen Juno haven't seen in Juno quite either. some time. Yeah. She also did Young Adult and then also Tully. Okay, I need to check those out. I've only seen Jennifer's Body of those, and I absolutely love it. It was it was so good, also hilarious, like a rare horror comedy. It was like, I mean, I actually like a lot of horror comedy, but anyway, it was good. So yeah, I don't really have any thoughts about them getting engaged, but the memes are funny. So that's that. Any, you got, got any final thoughts? Because I got one more thing. Well, the one thing I'll just see is like because he was wearing the striped uh, black and white shirt, which I actually thought hella dope. Someone was like damn the moment when like that footlocker employee brings yeah, out dude. the the shoes that were quote-unquote out of stock for you i, I was like that. Damn, what a moment <laughs> i saw that mean that was fucking hilarious yeah when he's like on the grid he's like on one knee handing her something and then you can't see what it is and she's like oh my god and it looks like a footlocker employee giving someone a shoe yeah it's so good okay the final thing that i wanted to bring up i'm, I'm curious if you've heard about this story because it's wild a former i think he was a former chief of staff for a Florida state senator had a case of road rage on the highway in Florida and he smashed into a Prius and then pulled out a gun and shot at the Prius, at which point 
the driver of the Prius pulled out their own gun and shot him, killing him. Damn, like point blank one shot? I mean, I don't know if they were in cars, so I don't think it was point blank, but like he, the Prius driver was like, oh, you're going to fuck with me, huh? And then shot right back and killed the man, which if there's ever been a fuck around and find out story, this is it. Damn, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, first of all, road rage is real. I personally have had some like serious road rage issues in the past being from New York. I came out to Colorado and I was like, oh, wow, there's something called self-care. Let me be a little (laughs) bit more grounded. I have transformed a lot as a person. I'm happy for you. But yo, you hear stories about people like pulling out the craziest shit from like what, like knives, guns, and then popping off. You never know who you're fucking with. Yeah. But the fact that this person crashed into the person and then pulled out a gun to then pop off like essentially like a fucking Grand Theft Auto shootout. Right. I mean, yeah. You fuck around, you get fucked. They found out. Yeah. And I love that it, something about the fact that it was a Prius really kills me because (laughs) I feel like if you're on the highway and you're looking at all the cars, like the one you're going to be like, that person does not have a gun is probably the Prius, but it's like, yo, you're in Florida. So you don't know. Yeah. He found out. Wow. Damn. He's got a Polish name. I don't think I can pronounce it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So that's um, John Kuk Zawanski is his name. I don't know how to say that. Case. I mean, I don't know if that is how you pronounce his name, but you definitely put a prominent cuck in there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oopsies. <laughs> John Cuck Zamonski. Uh, officials believe he caused the accident and has also instigated the shootout that led to his death. So sorry, John. Uh, you have fucked around and you have found out. It was in North Tallahassee, which if you know anything about Florida and Tallahassee, it's like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Name was John, right? Yeah. John. Um, cuck Zawanski. Yeah. Wow. What a last few moments of your life that you experienced. You probably didn't even hear it coming. Yeah. Get cucked. <laughs> Get cucked. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Yeah. No, hey, that's all I have as well. Cool. So uh, what have you been fucking with lately? I haven't had a chance to try out a lot of new things just because I was looking to finish Dark. Mm. And I feel like if I started new shows or really continued on with books and stuff, it would have really just lost focus because I feel like Dark is the show that I really needed to just hammer through and finally finished it. And absolutely amazing. Like you noted last week. Hell yeah. Ends perfectly. Yeah. I was honestly at tears coming down my eyes just with how the arcs all close. You get to see like this beautiful send off because the show is just pretty unrelentless and exhausting to actually watch you. And I say that in the most endearing and like complimentary way. But absolutely amazing experience to walk through that show. So, yeah, wow. that is a brutal show. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you. Yeah, I loved the ending. I thought it was I mean, it was wild. I did not expect for it to be for them to be able to resolve so much in in, in, in three seasons. But, but they did. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. The other thing that I had the chance to do. So me and my roommate, especially if we've had like really long days, we like to put on like pretty dumb comedies or just like movies in general from like the past like 20 years and just like kind of laugh about it or cringe at it depending how it's aged we checked out i love you man which a lot of things i was like "Ooh, i don't actually remember this in here this is a little <laughs> dicey but it really had me reflecting i was like damn do we deserve paul rudd <laughs> he is so fucking fire yeah at just the comedy lane but just putting so much layer into it and He's such an amazing actor that I feel like he really hasn't gotten the recognition for like his like upper tier like skills. 
but the combination between him and Jason, is it Siegel? I think or Jason Siegel, yeah. Yeah. They were just a great pairing in general. And then John Fraura, who I really love as a director, especially as he works a lot with like Marvel movies, but he's a great actor himself. Mm-hmm. And him playing like just the straight up like dick, like aggro asshole was just honestly pinged it really well. And something I always really appreciate is in a lot of movies that have like aged, it's when you have like a lot of uh, toxic masculinity based in it. If it's kind of handled well, it kind of ages beautifully in the way where it's like, damn, what a timepiece. Yeah. Like Meet the Parents, amazing movie because it's about this guy trying to navigate through such a toxic family dynamic and toxic masculinity. Highly recommend rewatching that. I, I can't stomach that movie. I, I can't watch that movie. It's like the peak. I don't know if we've talked, talked about it on air, but like I have a very low tolerance for cringe humor, a very specific type of cringe humor. And that type of cringe humor is Meet the Parents cringe or nah <laughs> nah hard nah <laughs> i'm very cringe give me more cringe like i love feeling my skin crawl as like a character just tries to navigate through the most awkward situations no i can't do it. especially like me the parents so contrived all the shit that goes on and like ben uh stiller's character just like making all the most horrible decisions all the time and getting caught in these weird can't do it dude i can't do it it like it hurts me too much no, hey, I hear that. I hear that. But personally, I disagree because I love it. Yeah, I I'm not saying it. I understand it. I understand it. Right. There we go agreeing again or understanding each other again. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Fuck you, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. That movie sucks ass, D. <laughs> and the last thing I'm going to pin for the listeners, if you're a Kid Cudi fan, there's a really awesome documentary on Amazon Prime. It's called uh, A Kid Named Scott. And... Pretty much it's Kid Cudi talking through his experiences as becoming an artist and obviously dealing with like mental health and what that means for him, like just struggling through that and obviously coming to like terms with it and like working through it throughout his career. And as a really big Kid Cudi fan growing up, it was really cool to see how other interviews with other people from like Emil to Plain Pat or... Uh, Shia LaBeouf, who have been really monumental parts throughout his career, also shared experiences. And they even are pretty real throughout the documentary where they say, oh, Man on the Moon Part 2, we don't talk about that. <laughs> it's just like too dark and like they'll share like a little, but pretty cool to kind of see like them in real time talking through those experiences. So if you're a really big Cuddy fan, highly, highly recommend it. I personally do because I fuck with Cuddy so hard. I have a Cuddy inspired tattoo. Fuck yeah. Which one of your tattoos is a cutting inspired tattoo? Uh, the one right here with the solar system. It's off of his uh, satellite flight album. Okay, very cool. I've always that's one. Kid Cudi's always one of those artists who like I haven't gotten into, but I've always kind of wanted to. But I mean, I just haven't remembered to or whatever. But you know, as someone who used to identify as a lonely stoner, the big biggest Kid Cudi song. I feel like um, I always really liked that song, and it always like resonated with me so i was like oh man i should check out kid cuddy but i never have so maybe you'll have to tell me where to start or tell me where to start you know amongst a lot of cuddy fans it really depends on what's going to resonate with you and like what you are looking for out of his music because every album is so different he's always experimenting and trying different things i don't know i i personally bounce between indicud and passion pain and demon slaying the most uh, those are some of his like later works in general. So I probably would recommend starting there, but also just want to recognize that every album is so different that it really just depends on like what type of like sound that you're looking for. Yeah. 
other than that, like a lot of people really did not fuck with speeding bullet to heaven, but I personally kind of liked how gritty and like grunge inspired it was, especially its direct influence was like kind of like the raw unfiltered uh, sound of like Nirvana's first album, which is bleach Yeah, getting really deep cut right here. But like, I really fuck with that. So if you're looking for something a little bit more like simple, like rock inspired, highly recommend that then, but that's a dark album. That's probably the darkest Cuddy has gone, especially with like lyrics as a lot of the themes definitely are around like depression, anxiety, and suicide. Shit. That does kind of sound on my alley though. Like the rock inspired and like the grunge and stuff like that. So I'll, I'll have to check that out. That's dope. Yeah. So, um, Andrew, what have you been fucking with? What have I been fucking with? So I saw the first screen movie the other day we talked about it in the last episode. I've heard nothing but good things about the new screen movie, but as we discussed last time, I'm the type of person who wants to do the homework to understand the new sequel. So stream five is coming out. So I was like, I want to watch one, two, three, and four. So I, I, I saw one and I absolutely loved it. It's a fantastic movie. And I only ever heard good things. So like, I wasn't surprised that it was good, but Matthew Lillard's character in that movie is chef's kiss, man. He, he cracked me up from start to finish. I feel like he needs an Oscar for that performance. Like just like the, douchiest high school boy imaginable and then it goes places i loved it so i i, I have um two three and four ready to to play so I'm, I'm gonna watch those and maybe hey look out listeners maybe we'll get a a scream spoiler cast or something like that so keep your keep your eyes peeled. and then i have been playing wordle every day i mean i feel like that's just absolutely blown up are you familiar with wordle yeah, I've worked through it a couple times. Still plan to. It's it's pretty fun. I just have to remember to play it like daily. I get a little frustrated, and that's mainly because when it comes to word games, where like historically there's playing through Scrabble, I feel really stupid. So that's just a me issue. And but it is really fun. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think there there are types of folks who some people. I'm I'm definitely like a word guy. Not everybody's a a word guy, and it can also it can depend on um, if you're bilingual as well. I think it can be challenging are you bilingual d i actually don't know no um we we don't have to get on this quick tangent but growing up so my parents wanted to teach me spanish i had uh speech development issues and problems so i actually got put into speech therapy at like a certain age and then because that was more english predominant like with the program that then stuck with me so i'm not bilingual I can pick up on Spanish a lot, though. So, like, when people are obviously talking shit about me, like, oh, like, he doesn't speak Spanish. Like, is he even fucking Spanish and stuff? I just nod my head. and I'm like, you know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I totally get what you're saying. I just can't produce the language as much. Right. I hear you. I am not. I am not. Well, regardless, some some folks are word folks. Some folks are not. I've always been like a word nerd. And um, Wordle, if you've not heard of it, I I don't know if you've been living under a rock. It's just absolutely exploded. Listeners is a game. Where every day, every 24 hours, a it, it's a website. You just have to search Wordle on Google. I can't remember the actual website. It's not Wordle.com. But every day, you get the option to guess a five-letter word. And everyone in the entire world has the same five-letter word. You have six chances. And every guess that you make, it will tell you if, you, if one of the letters or any of the letters in the word are in the word, the actual correct word. If you have it in the right place, it'll give you a green tile and if you have a letter that's in the word but it's not in the right place we'll give you yellow so then it's that simple you have six guesses and you try to figure out the word it can be any five letter word 
and it's just a fun game. And then when you, when you're done, it gives you the option to share. And when you share, it'll share like your, the tiles that you guessed. So it doesn't have the letters, but it, it'll show like how you did. It's hard to explain, but if, if once you see it for yourself, you'll understand. It, it, and that's, I think why part of why it blew up because people just started sharing these like tiles all over the internet and people like myself were like, what is this? And I clicked on it and then I fell in love with it. So it's just a fun game. It's like a fun moment to be a part of because it's a, you know, something that, happens everyone's dealing with the same word every day so it's fun and then you can talk to your friends after you've all done it and be like oh man this word today was fucked like especially if a word has like two of the same letter that's really hard so like the word today did but yeah wordle's been fun i've been fucking with that what uh what's the quickest you've been able to guess a word my first ever attempt i got i had it in four out of six attempts but and i've i think i got it in four out of six today also but normally i think every other time it's been five out of six i've yet to fail but I've never gone less than four. I've seen people guess it in one, which obviously is pure luck. And Addie actually guessed it in three, either today or yesterday. She's also a word girl. So yeah, I failed every single time. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's tough, man. Um, I've just been, I, I've been playing games like that. My whole life. Well, I definitely, my family was a Scrabble family. So I had that advantage other than Wordle. Oh, I've been really on to, there was a TikTok song that blew up on some TikTok sound. I don't know. I heard Addie playing it. It's called notion by the rare occurrences. And I, I heard her listening to it. And I was like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Don't change TikToks. What is that song? And she told me the song and I looked it up. They've got a, a couple albums, the relatively new garage rock kind of angsty garage rock that really brings me back to my roots. You know, I was a, I was an angsty garage rock kid growing up, like stroke, the strokes, uh, the Arctic monkeys, um, that's when I say garage rock, that's kind of the the vibe. It's it's hard to I don't actually know how to describe what garage rock is. It's just something like it's just like the strokes inspired or alternative indie rock with like a specific kind of I don't even I almost want to say like whiny voice, but like Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys doesn't have a whiny voice. I don't know. Anyway, I really like the rare occurrences. They're cool. Okay. The rare occurrences? Yeah. I'll definitely have to check them out. For me, I when I think of garage rock, I think of it as grainy yes yes that's fair that's fair kind of yeah it doesn't feel clean like you obviously hear everything that's going on like instrumentally and the vocals but it it doesn't feel filtered out whereas like polished and that's intentional which i think makes it really like dope and stuff yes yeah i I think the arctic monkeys in particular as they got as they went on became less that and got a little more more suave but other than that yes that i think that is a good explanation of garage rock it's got a lot of energy to it a lot of punch i i want to say that it's got like a, it's kind of punk adjacent in its sensibilities but i don't really know what i'm saying when i say that but yeah i like that like kind of angst to it or that like the a little bit of an edge yeah if you want um a little bit of that angst and graininess not necessarily he definitely gets into some rock themes or like uh feels of like his music but have you heard of uh alex g also goes by sandy I'm not sure that I have. Oh, I re- I really fuck with this artist and got the chance to see him a few years ago. And it was one of my favorite concerts like ever. Really cool, like garage rock folkish type music and just really good sing alongs and just really great like guitar riffs, especially. And has even like worked with like Frank Ocean. Okay. So yeah, definitely like off air or like at some point, definitely check out Alex G. I think you Alex really G. like him. Will well. do. Thanks. 
that's uh that's most of what i've been fucking with lately nice that's what's up well thank you for sharing for sure yeah, yeah. well hey as we come to a close want to share the obituary of the week and i imagine a lot of our listeners know that it's probably obvious mm-hmm. want to shout out bob saget who passed away at 65 played america's dad being danny tanner on full house and of course before youtube was even a thing host of America's Funniest Home Videos, amongst all sorts of other roles uh, throughout his career, uh, mainly playing a lot of like fatherly figures, but then also a lot of like really like gritty and funny and just hard-hitting like one-liner type roles as well with cameos. Yeah, I mean, that dude's raunchy as fuck in real life. Yeah. (laughs) It was wild to go from what he did to being who he was. And I have really even not experienced a lot of his content outside i've seen him showed up he showed up in like roasts and stuff and is like always the most inappropriate dude at the party and like loves being that so a lot of respect for him yeah i i I would imagine especially considering his career and how it like blew up with him being like on full house and obviously home videos and stuff that he knew flipping the switch on that would hit even harder yeah and i feel like after every type of roast or joke that would be like whoa this is like off the chain what you say you would always have that slight little smirk like yeah i'm bob saget yeah because there's always somebody in the room who didn't know he was like that he's like oh yeah you thought you were wrong (laughs) you thought wrong yeah rest in peace he was young too right he was i think like only 65 Yeah, yeah yeah 65 wow that sucks rest in peace man Rest in peace. All right. Well, this one turned into a long one. I think we had some great conversations, but sorry for anybody who uh, wanted us to do shorter episodes. Um, get fucked, I guess. Yeah, get fucked. So <laughs> listen to this as you slowly and surely start to fail on your New Year's resolutions. That's right. We're all there, man. Did you yeah. have any New Year's? Did we talk about that? Did you have? We did talk about that, didn't we? No, I don't. I don't remember. think we have. Okay, quick question. New Year's resolutions or nah? Uh, nah. Nah, I don't do it either. No. Okay. Wow, we're so alike, Andrew. <laughs> Fuck, dude. Fuck. God damn it. Oh, wow. We got to yeah, find something. with New Year's resolutions. No, it's bullshit. It's like, whatever, man. I'm, I'm living my life over here. All right, well, it's been another another episode of Lord of the Week for the books. Um, well, uh, you, you, what, what's, our, what's our catchphrase going to be for this episode? You do. I've been doing them. You give us a catchphrase. Oh, I mean, I feel like I would have to kind of sit and think on it. Off the cuff, as quick as possible. Imposter syndrome or nah? Or nah. <laughs> nah. I don't know if that really will ring true. You but gotta I... put the word lore in there, though. Andrew, let me ask you something. Like, when you put, when you think of the titles, like, you don't think of it off the cuff, or what? You yeah, I'm thinking of it off the cuff. You one-take Drew? What's that? You one-take Drew? I one-take Drew every time. Like, last time, I think it was, um, shove that lore straight down your throat or something like that. That was off the cuff. That was a really good one. I think I got a lot of feedback on that one. No one's ever given me any feedback on these. Uh, fuck uh get the fucking get the lore out of here motherfuckers there you go that's off the cuff uh you know off the, okay now i've had a moment to think of it don't fuck with priuses okay word that's and that's lore of the week everybody we'll talk to you again soon <laughs> take care everybody bye, bye. bye.